Our personal and professional lives are rarely distinct. They feed us and consume us in different ways. And today we're talking to someone whose family circumstances led her to building a multi-million dollar innovative high-impact organization. Hi, this is Penny DeVolk. Welcome to Grit in the Oyster, a conversation about how we navigate our careers, our organizations, our lives as women leaders. Exploring its challenges, learning from others, sharing best practice, an opportunity to step out of the fray for a bit, to help you tune out some of the noise and tune into being the best leader you can be. Hello from Black's Club in Soho, London, where I'm speaking today with Geeta Sidhu Rob. Geeta is an inspirational mother of three, ex-corporate lawyer and entrepreneur with a remarkable life story. She's the board apprentice to Investco Select Perpetual Trust, board member for Open Britain UK, trustee at Montessori St. Nicholas, and a winner of numerous awards, including Businesswoman of the Year, Entrepreneur of the Year, and Food and Juice Company of the Year. Geeta gave up her career as a corporate lawyer to set up her own business, Nosh Detox, in 2008, after her son's severe food allergies led her to retrain as a food technician and nutritionist. She fast learned how to provide a nutritious, balanced and safe diet for her son and her whole family. Seven years later, her company, Nosh Detox, was valued at three and a half million, and Nosh's customers include the likes of Gwyneth Paltrow and Georgia May Jagger. In the last year, Gita launched her first Nosh retail products, Nosh Raw Smoothie and Nosh Raw Fruity. Gita's empire doesn't stop at home delivery, detox and retail on-the-go juices. In January 2013, she launched a Nosh infusion clinic to administer IV drips. Gita's vision is for the name Nosh to become synonymous with raw and healthy living. Welcome, Gita. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, Gita, let's start with telling me your story. That's so open-ended. <laughs> like, where to start, where, she says. Where, what part would you yeah, like me to... What led you to, um, obviously, you're an entrepreneur. You know, Nosh's success, we heard that uh, it came out of your family circumstances. Yes, But just tell me a bit more about who you are, how you landed that, and the process of uh, retraining, and also what it was like leaving corporate lawyerdom. Um... Well, I, you know, a lot of it is is sometimes I think when you have choice, it's much harder because you then have to think about it and should you do things and should you not. Mm. I've liked, my, mine has never been like that. It's always sort of been, it's kind of now you're doing this and now you're doing this and now it's something totally different. So it's been a bit like that. Um, my... The, the 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 foundation for Nosh, a lot of it has been children led. So the mm -hmm. foundation for Nosh came about when my son was very ill and he was allergic to his vaccination, and he um, got asthma, then eczema, then he developed anaphylaxis, which is when you get ill and die. Yeah. When how scary. When you eat, it was because he had cardiorespiratory arrest. He died. He was in intensive resuscitated. It was in intensive care for a week. Um, and then brought back slowly from mm. a coma. So that was, and he was only, I think he was a year old, just yeah, over 14 months it. old. Yeah. So that was kind of like a bit of a game changer because, he, you know, I was told eczema was incurable, asthma was incurable. Yes. And I was like, that nothing is incurable, is it really? It just means that we don't have the medicine for it. So I kind of went down the road of how do I help him? And that took up a lot of the next few years' focus. And so it became, we did cure his asthma, we did cure his eczema. 
Um, and it just happened that I got to the place where I could help people to get healthier. Mm -hmm. So then when I, when, I, when I got divorced and I left the children's father, um, I was penniless with three small children under the age of seven and we were sleeping on my girlfriend's floor and we had nowhere to live and we didn't have, you know, and, and it wasn't impossible to go to work because where was I, I couldn't just leave them in this room yes. and go to work. Yes. And come. Three under seven. Yeah, so that was really tough. And so... Um, and were you working as a corporate lawyer then? I was until then and yes. then I, I sort of stopped mm. rather dead mm. and thought, well, I need to make a living. And then I was also worried because my son was always so ill that I would go to work and I'd come back and he'd be dead yes. and kind of, <laughs> it was kind of focused as mine. So I, um, as a lawyer, I had done a lot of negotiating. Yes. So what I did was I went into kind of corporate negotiating, so I invented a job. And so people used to say things like, you know, can you go and fix? And I'd be like, yes. And they're like, you haven't, I'm like, no, I can fix it. It doesn't matter what it is. So I ended <laughs> I up fix. in, yeah, I ended up in, in uh, Belarus with a bunch of men with guns and my job, which I was being paid for, was to bring both sides together and mm -hmm. reach an agreement. And it was, I don't know if you've seen The Pursuit of Happiness, yes. but it was very, very similar to that because I had a, such a short time and I had done a deal where they would pay me more if I was there for one day, and every day I didn't fix it, I got paid less. Interesting yeah. model. It so was yeah, fairly I, high stakes on day one. I mean, I mean, the stakes were already so bloody yeah. high. I was like, I need to get home as quickly as possible. Let's make it worth my while. And I said something like, pay me £10,000. And they were like, well, duh. Well, then nine for two days, eight for three. I was like, whatever. And I went out there and I remember sitting at this table and there were all these men on either side and I was the only woman in this room and every man had a bodyguard. Mm -hmm. So there was me plus this guy and he had two bodyguards, he had two bodyguards, he had two bodyguards, he had two... The guy at the end had six bodyguards because he was the really scary one and then... And there were just... It was <laughs> Did just... Did you have a bodyguard? No. <laughs> I was the only person that didn't. And I was in this room with... All, all, I just can't get over how it was all these men and it, you had to go down these stairs and I thought I'm never going to get out alive. Mm. In fact, even worse, I might be alive, but I will be really mangled. And, um, and I was just, and it was so lucky. It was so lucky, honestly, that everything worked because I was Indian and they really had never seen any. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a woman and they really didn't get that crap at all. And I was like, right. What do you want and what do you want? So you want this and you want this. Why can't he have this? And why can't he have... And these guys were just so... I think they were gobsmacked into submission. <laughs> so all of their normal sort of... Yeah. ...positing hostility behaviours just sort it of... It took me one and a half days and I flew home the next day. And so that was great. And then somebody came and went, oh, my God, um, can you go and do this? And I was like, yes. And he went, great, and waved me off and... and and I did. I did the most amazing, really wonderfully ridiculous things. I negotiated telecom spectrum in Rwanda and got to know the Rwandese government really well. Lovely people. Um, and I went to uh, Germany and I had to negotiate something. Somebody asked me to list a company on the stock exchange in Saudi Arabia, which took bloody forever, honestly. And then I found a shortcut and I bought a company on the stock exchange and whipped this one into that. <laughs> so I got very inventive very fast because yeah. I was just desperate for money. I was absolutely desperate so for money. So that fueled your courage we as were so, well as your We were so poor. No, yeah. desperation. desperation. We were so poor. We went into Christmas with three kids, myself, and, and I mean, we had £200 for four weeks. 
mm. and it's just nothing. It's really, it's even less than you would get on social services. Yeah. And we were really poor. So if I didn't make money, we didn't eat. Yeah. So it kind of focuses the mind spectacularly well. It does. Yeah. So I went from there and then I thought, this is really bad. I'm not building anything. I'm not creating anything. And my best friend came to stay and she said, look, can we stop talking about how poor you are and talk about how fat I am? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all about me, come on. Yes, exactly. She's like, I can't see my toes and I've had two children in one year and bloody do something. I was like, oh my God, that's so easy. Just do this and this and this and this and we'll be fine. Yeah. And she rang me up six weeks later and it was December 2007, mm. November 2007. And um, she rang me back and went, oh my God, I've lost two dress sizes. I can't believe it. This, people will pay you money for this. Yeah. I was like, they would? Because I'd never really thought about my weight very much other than from when I was a child. And she went, yes, do it. So I took me six weeks. So I set up the comp I set up Nosh in six weeks. And what was the core proposition for Nosh then? The core proposition was that we made dairy, we were the only company that delivered to your home gluten, dairy, egg and nut-free food, which was exactly my son's allergies. How interesting. I wanted my son to be able to eat food that other people ate because he, he couldn't eat anything anyone else could eat. So he would look in the fridge and go, I can't eat any of these things. He'd go to birthday parties, he couldn't eat anything. He'd go everywhere and he couldn't eat anything at all. So I set up a company with food that he could eat. And Basically. everyone else benefited as well. They did. And then if you had a problem, we would fix it. And then if you had a problem, we would fix it. And then it, so the company evolved out of that. So you started creating recipes, so to speak, for people's specific... I had the recipes anyway because I had written a cookbook. Mm -hmm. um, um, I'd written this cookbook earlier when um, we were still trying to work out how to do this. My son was five, four, five and six. And it was all the recipes of food he could eat. And there were other mothers that were really struggling with the same yeah. problem. And so I'd written that book. So what I did was I took the book and gave it to the chef and said, here, cook this. Yeah. Um, who we found the day before we opened. And I interviewed him and I was like, you're hired. He goes, when do we start? And I was like, tomorrow. And then we found a pizza delivery man the night before. And I said, um, do, you, do you work only at night? And he went, yes. And I'm like, would you like a morning job? And he went, yes. <laughs> I was like, could you turn up at, at 6 a.m. on 5 a.m. or whatever it was in the next two days' time? Because I'll take some deliveries for you. Yeah. And actually, I was up like this because thinking, please, 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 does he come? Otherwise, I'll be gone wandering around in my old clunky car delivering <laughs> this stuff. And he came. And, and lo and behold. And that was the beginning of Nosh. It really, really was. Yeah, it's literally, and we couldn't afford it because, you know, I couldn't, and so I found an old overdraft that I had when I was going through some papers for £2,000 and it was from HSBC. So I went to see, you know, in the days you had bank managers. Yes. And I went and I found this lovely man, poor, unsuspecting, lovely man, <laughs> sitting behind a desk in HSBC. And I was like, um, can I please have this overdraft? And he went, no, that was two years old. It's, it's expired. I'm like, you know, the thing is, they can't expire. He goes, the thing is, they can expire. I'm your bank manager. <laughs> nice and try, I lady. <laughs> literally begged him. I was like, please, I'm desperate. And this, I practically wept on the poor man. And he was just like, oh, my God. OK, where's your business plan? I'm like, what's that? And he said, I'm a lawyer. I don't know how to add up. And he said, it's those things. That, oh, I'm like, can you just show me what it looks like? And he went, yes. And he went, this and this and this and this. And I was like, so now what do we do with it? He says, you put numbers in here. I was like, right, don't go away. He goes, no, go home and come back tomorrow and put numbers in. I'm like, what do they look like? He goes, it should just show that you're going to make money at the end of the year. I'm like, what do you mean make money? He said, profit. Oh, <laughs> I had to go and look up profit. I literally went and did YouTube videos looking up what profits were, margins. Brilliant. Yeah, I just had no bloody clue at all. And, and he gave it to me and bless him forever that he gave that to me. And, um, and that was how your first business plan was created. I spent, I spent, of that 2000, I spent the day within the next 
four or five weeks, I spent £1,996 and I had literally £4 left with the first meal and I was like, we're so screwed if somebody doesn't buy this crap. But they did? They did. No, 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 they absolutely did. And how did it accelerate from there? We grew really fast in the beginning. We doubled every year. Mm -hmm. We would like double every six months and it was just like, oh yeah, this is just going to carry on, isn't it? It's just amazing. I know how to run a business. It's, uh, I did go and do an executive MBA in the meantime yep. at, at Cranfield and I learned how to add up properly, <laughs> barely. Um, and we were always dying because we always had no cash flow. I yes. didn't know what cash flow was. I just knew we always had no money. So I was like, we'll sell more, we'll make more money. And it turns out that's not at all how this works. Yep. We did, we, we kept growing and I, I needed some money to grow things. So I would go out and ask someone, can you give me some money for this? Mm -hmm. And they did. And I didn't, and I remember saying, I want to go to America and learn marketing from this man. Yes. And she's like, well, why don't you? And I said, well, I can't because it's in bloody America and I can't afford it. And I've got to fly in and out of Los Angeles. And um, she said, no, I'll invest in your business. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, what are you, stupid? You're a corporate lawyer. What do you think invest in your business means? <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God. So she invested 80,000 mm pounds, -hmm. which was unbelievable because we were, you know, two years old or something. And she invested that in the business. And then the business quadrupled in growth. And then I had the bright idea of going into supermarkets yes. with a low price product. Because I was like, if everybody can find these, why can't everybody buy this juice? Because it's so expensive to make it by hand. And yes. So. And um, yeah, that was kind of like the beginning of the end of that cycle because then Brexit happened in 2016. Mm -hmm. So that was 2012. So again, it grew and grew and grew. Brexit happened in 2016. The pound dropped 19%. My margins were 14%. Yeah. And it killed me. Mm. Um, I accelerated into massive debt within literally week on week. We're like quarter of a million pounds in debt within about six weeks. Ouch. It was unbelievably painful. And I was like, right, I'm not doing this. So I, I and my board were shouting at me mm. and I was crying and I was like, oh, I can't pay wages. And mm -hmm. I just had maxed yeah. out every credit card, every, I just couldn't cope. And so I literally pulled the plug on the whole retail range because the rest of it was just doing what it was meant to do. Yes. And then, um, and Ocado were livid because we were like their yeah. first or second best-selling juice. And I was just like, it still doesn't make me any money. And so we, we then spent the next couple of years learning how to grow a business, which yeah. we then now here, it's sort of like our, our nosh version too. That's fantastic. And when you say we, who else is involved? I mean, in I business? have a team of people. Yeah. So, um, who are fantastic, they're amazing. Uh, and it's, it's quite funny actually, because most of the admin sort of team and marketing is, is, is female, bar one guy, and most of the prep team and the delivery team is male. So it's quite interesting divide. Interesting. Mm. So what, was, what did that failure around supermarkets teach you? What was, what, I mean, what was the lesson? I mean, a lot, a lot. It's, you know, it's, it's very interesting because you learn that, in fact, people don't invest in businesses, they invest in people. Yes. You know, firstly. Secondly, um, my, in fact, my female board member was incredibly supportive. Right. She was great. Um, what did I learn? I learned that you have to constantly and continuously pivot. Now, when I started Nosh, that was not how businesses were built. Businesses were built where you did one thing, you mm -hmm. did that better than anyone. Consistency and certainty. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I, I'm a girl. I want to do 12 things. I'm mm -hmm. like, this doesn't. And what has been really interesting is that's really made me survive we have different revenue streams yes and all the revenue streams combined have helped us survive yeah 
So the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Much. But you've been running different streams. Yes. Different streams. That's really interesting. What's um, What has been the biggest challenge building your business? You talked about cash, which is a fairly consistent theme in people who build businesses. But I beyond I, that. I think me. I think my short-sightedness or my fear or my, you know, it's that thing that it's always the CEO that's the bottleneck. Always. And so how, how have you got out of your own way in that respect? It took me a while to work out that I was constantly the bottleneck. I always looked outside for a solution and then I realized it was inside was the solution. So that was one realization. I always have coaches. I always mm. have mentors. And now what I do is it's in a much more focused way. Now I'm kind of like, right, I want to go here. How do I do this? Mm -hmm. And then I find a coach to teach me that thing. Okay. So I'm much the more how. focused. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I go back and I do that. I tell you, the hardest thing has been believing that I'm a leader in this area. For me, and I think it's a very female thing that I've really struggled with, with accepting that mantle. So in the last 10 years, I mean, because you've had huge accolades uh, and, the, All the, and time. the business, you know, just it's kind of awards. Just... And so they didn't stick with you. It was sort of like Teflon, no. you didn't believe? No, not at all. And it's just, oh, great, there's another award. I think, oh, that's really good for PR. And then off I'd go. Mm. So I never took that on personally in any way. Then people, I, I remember ringing a girlfriend of mine going, oh, God, I've got to go and be inspiring. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> I did inspiration. Yes, exactly. She's like, idiot. <laughs> I was like, thanks, that's really helpful. So that's really helped because I've really evolved past that. And so you've changed. And, I and have how really you changed? developed how, you, how Where does that pride now and your achievements come from? Well, I don't wince quite as much when someone mm -hmm. says that. Um, I think that what made it change was that I realized that if I, I want to do more things and I can't do those things if I don't accept who I am today. Right. And part of who I am is that whether or not it makes me comfortable or uncomfortable, if what I've done can inspire someone else to do something, then I'm, I'm happy to be that inspiring. If that, that for me is inspiration, that's okay, I can do that. I think you shouldn't believe your own press. I do think yeah. you shouldn't. Um, so I'm never quite gonna give up on that. There is a bit of me that will always slightly flinch. Yeah. Um, and that's okay, well, I'm allowed to do that. Um, I just, that it's okay, I, I do think, I see so many women that, or so many people, I don't look like anything bad has ever happened to me. Right. And I think it's interesting and it's important to continue to look like that because mm -hmm. that's relevant and it's also interesting and important to always say things like I have been homeless with three children I have been extremely poor mm -hmm. I've been extremely rich and I've had to pull my way out of it because not everybody thinks they can yes so I think that that's really important to say those things yeah but I had a lot of guilt and shame around that. I okay. felt so that I, was important for you to come out around yeah. your own personal but it, journey. It, but it, I mean, that was because I was, I, it was, it was an editor at the BBC who just said, can you get out of your own way and bloody talk about this? And mm. I was just like, I really don't want to, because my mother thought it was a terrible thing to have left my husband and I, you know, end up homeless mm. and nobody, we don't do things like that, darling. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's kind of getting to the place where other women go, you know, the fact that you did it showed me I could do yes. it. And that's part of the powerful story. And that's part of your power. And the, as you say, how do I become inspirational? Well, real stories and authentic people are what people can relate to. And, and also, I, I'm, I feel very blessed because I've always thought I was very lucky. Even though these terrible things happened, I've always thought I was very lucky. And also, I think that 
when you are willing to open up to anything that happens, amazing things do happen, mm -hmm. you know? So, so what gives you the courage to be that open? Well, as I said, initially it wasn't courage, it was desperation. Mm. So I, I make no, I never let that lie because honestly we were just so desperate. Yeah. I remember writing down, I have a journal from that time, and I remember writing down, today I made 14 pounds. Yes. You know, and then today I made a thousand pounds. And today, you know, and it, it's just the numbers become bigger, but um, I, I just don't ever... But it was an intense focus. It yeah, was a massive, and I'm deeply... I, the joy of growing up extremely wealthy, which I did, mm -hmm. was that it gave me the ability to understand that I was able to have a different life. Mm. I, yeah, I, I'm just very bloody-minded. I do think no is the start of a conversation. I don't think it's the end of one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's great. So what's been the biggest surprise that's really delighted you? in the Nosh story. We're all still alive. I think that there were days I would count the children in the house and count them out the house because, you know, things would get, you know, we lost everything. So that, that was, was really crazy. It really, really, we did lose everything, everything, everything we ever had. I mean, I had a suitcase for the, for the four of us that, to live out of and two pairs of shoes for like two years. Um, so we did lose everything. What kept um, you strong in that time? I didn't have a choice. There's mm. no, what was strong for, I mean, what was the alternative? Yeah, you had three children. To I had no, after. I had no, my mother was, was not supportive. Um, I had nobody to turn to. Um, what was I going to do? Mm. You just get on with it. You draw you? every resource that you had and get on with it. Yeah. So it's made me very calm about being driven. I'm deeply driven. I'm deeply ambitious. I'm deeply focused. And I, I, I really sing my own tune only, mm -hmm. nobody else's. So what anybody thinks about me is just none of my business. Yeah. There really and has is that not. always been the case? Probably quite a fair amount, but mm. not to this depth. Mm. Now I'm, I'm absolutely clear about it. Mm. I do cringe a little and think, ooh, or I'll be, I, and I'm very clear about, it. oh yeah, so it just doesn't like me. And, and, and I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm not supposed to be. That's mm. really not my yeah. job. And that's not what you're striving to be. No. What's not, the point of that? Yeah. Yeah, no. So what about Nosh now? What next for you? So what company? we're doing with Nosh is we are building an online uh, school Mm -hmm. to put a lot of the knowledge that we have. It's really hard to scale a very high-end, very focused business, personalized business. So we're building an online school where we put a lot of the knowledge that we have and we're building that school and so people from anywhere around the world can access that knowledge and use it to create natural health, natural health and wellness uh, with the information that we give them. Because I think we get sicker and sicker and medicine is not always a solution. And medicine has come into the purvey or purview of wellness and actually you shouldn't have medicine until you're sick and so there's such a large space in wellness. So there's a huge spectrum that you're Massive. looking at and I think filling. that yeah and I think that we should be able to have a resource that's crust, trust, uh, crusted, a trusted and credible resource yes. <laughs> as opposed to a crusted and terrible whatever <laughs> that was going to be um, and that's what I want to create. That's, that's my goal. And I have, I've, I've got, that's kind of for the next 18 months, what I want to do. So, okay. and then so you've grown that already. We just started. Okay. Um, and it's been a super damp squib. It really did not take off spectacularly well at all. But you know, life's like that. So uh, most new things. Well, we just have to tweak it until mm. we get it to the right place. And this, what I've learned is that even if this path, particular path isn't the right one, the right one will come from where this has started. Yes. And you have great confidence in that. Yes. And that's a very powerful place to be. Yeah. So, you know, looking at that, what is leadership then for you? You said that you started, 
you know, without knowing any of those things, you've obviously gone on and done your MBA, executive MBA since. So you've got the canon in terms of leadership. But when you look at your personal journey, what is leadership for you? I, I think that we all need people that are strong believers in particular pathways. And I think leadership is being able to have a belief and a vision that's, that, that's real to you and that's authentic mm -hmm. for you mm -hmm. because that makes it easier for people to believe and follow. And it is more inspiring, I think, to do that. Yeah. Does that, does that make something sense? something about authenticity and that yeah, people can and, touch it and feel it. Right, and to be in alignment with that positioning. Mm -hmm. And you can always tell, like, I mean, in the days of Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, you can always see in authenticity. Mm. You can feel it, even if you can't, even if someone's going, no, it's blue. You just know it's not blue. It doesn't matter how many times they say it. So when you have people that will show up and just be blue or yeah. be pink or be whatever it is, mm. I think that's... That's real and increasingly refreshing. And unusual, apparently. Unusual. What delighted you again? I'd like to ask you that. When I mean, you think of your career, your, and our personal and professional careers are never not intertwined, what has been the biggest surprise for you when you look over the last 10 years? Huh, don't know really. I mean, I love that. I'm, I, it always makes me laugh that, that when we help people, they're always surprised that little easy things work and make yeah. such a big difference. Yeah. You know, so that's always a source of joy. We had a woman yesterday who did a 28 day program and wrote back going, oh my God, I can't believe how amazing I feel. I'm not bloated, I'm energizer. And it always makes me laugh to think that, yes. that, that you know, that small shift. It's just, it, it's actually, what we do is actually super simple. It's mm -hmm. just that we do it in a very dedicated fashion. And it does, uh, changing what you put in your mouth changes how you show up. Yeah. Just does. It mm. is that way, and mm. yet people find that so shocking. I just never get my head around it. Yeah, it's quite a different paradigm. One that's emerging, and you are of your time. Yeah, yeah but I also just just live that way as well, and yeah. I sort of find it really. I know that if I drink three bottles of vodka, well, I'm never going to do that because apparently <laughs> yes. I'm the worst drinker in my family, and even my children drink more than I do. Can drink more than I do. They complain about the fact that I talk, we did a thing on underage drinking. They were like, don't do that. People will think it's all about us. But, <laughs> but you know, you know that if you drink three alcoholic drinks, this is going to have an effect tomorrow. Yes. What, what is so surprising? Why would you not think that, that having that three burgers a consequence, yeah. will not have an effect tomorrow? Mm. So I don't know if that's what you meant, but to me, that is something that constantly, completely blows me yeah. away. And it's delightful yeah, yeah. that you can make that difference. I, it's absolutely. I, I, I like that, um, um, you know, I like that we're all still here. I like that the children are alive and more or less educated. I'm not fond of them right now because they're all going through their own crap. So I go through bits of loving them and not loving them. But I've been a single parent my entire adult life. So you're used to that. So I'm like, yeah, I'll love them again in a bit. Um, but I, I really... You know, I like them. I like the people mostly, yeah, as I said. But my son moved back in with me yesterday, so I'm still not convinced. But <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I do look around sometimes and think, "Wow, I'm so grateful." I am deeply. It's the first thing I think every morning I, before I even open my eyes. I just think, "Thank you. I'm so grateful. Mm. I'm grateful for the people that I work with. I'm grateful for the house that I live in, the the, the environment I inhabit. I'm I'm very very lucky. I feel blessed." Yeah. Um, there'll be a number of budding or actual women entrepreneurs listening to this. 
What advice would you have for them? Because a number of the women I work with have got great ideas and they're just poised on the, shall I get out of my corporate career? You left a high-flying corporate career. And as you say, it wasn't necessarily by choice. For those who are making that choice, any advice you might have? Change is inevitable, suffering is optional. Mm. So I actually wrote this on my website for a long time just because I just needed to remember it. Um, so change is inevitable. Whether it causes you pain or doesn't cause you pain is entirely your business. The problem is, is that when you're sitting in that place and you're earning an enormous amount of money, but you hate it, mm. um, if you're talking about that, that's very, very hard position to be in. Yeah. Um, the other problem that, I ha that okay, this, and this is slightly controversial, but I struggle with the concept that if you're gonna set up a business, the first thing you do is raise money. Mm. I, I really disagree with that. Okay. I think that if you're gonna set up a business, the first thing you need is customers. Mm. Now, if somebody will buy what you're selling, not That's if you can start. raise money, yep. but if somebody will buy what you're selling, you have clients, that, that is a business. Raising money to keep you going is not a business. Mm. That's a service. It's not a business. But if you, can, if you want to do something outside of your job, then see if somebody will pay you for it. Mm. Anyone will tell you something's a good idea, but will they actually put their hand in their wallet and buy? And buy? Now, when they will do that, Firstly, you have a business. Secondly, do it often, again and again and again. So I did my day job. I would do my day job till sort of five o'clock. Yeah. Then I'd go pick up the kids, put them to bed, and then I started. Then I would do nosh in the evening from seven thirty-eight till about midnight um, with me and the cat, and then I would start again in the morning. And so when nosh got to, I think it was the I. I I was lucky, I mean, like the negotiating part stuff, because I wasn't working as a lawyer, because I couldn't. But um, when, when Nosh got to about 30, 40 clients, I was like, oh, okay, this is a business. And then I, the day I gave up the negotiating and everything and did this full time, that was really scary. Yeah. It's very scary. scary. Let, you know, it is going to be frightening. It is going to be scary. But you know what? When you are happy, um, and I mean genuinely happy because you're doing what you're driven to do. There comes a time in everyone's life where you get tapped on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. And it goes, hello, and you're like, uh, no. Um, yeah. You're like, hello, you're like, I'll have another drink. You're like, hello, you're like, I'll just go to bed. You're yeah. like, hello, I've like, gone holiday. And it's like, I'm still here. Yeah. When that tapping on the shoulder starts. It's louder. There is no escape. Mm -hmm. And so that's the time you should start listening to it. And mm -hmm. it comes to everybody at different times. Mm -hmm. So when that tapping starts, start to open your heart to it mm -hmm. and that will take you in the right direction. Mm. Do you miss your corporate career? I miss the money I earned. Yeah. I miss going on holiday, having people pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> I miss being able to be stupid and people paid for it. I miss <laughs> all of those things. But no, I don't. I mean, I just, there, it's, it's the biggest privilege in the world to be your own boss. Otherwise, I wouldn't have met you and be sitting here, which, you know, it's, which is in itself a privilege. I meet the most amazing women and men. So I love that. Um, but no, I, I literally don't at all. I just miss, honestly, I just miss the money. Yeah. I miss the salaried money. Yeah. But I mean, I pay myself a salary. So, but I always pay myself less because it's yes, my business. It's your business. Yeah. Which, in fact, if I was a man, I'd probably pay myself more. Women are really shit at this, but we'll get there. It's very true. Yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give your younger self? Not just related to the last 10 years, but as a young girl. Get married up, less. Get married less. <laughs> um, um, what advice would I give myself? I wouldn't have listened, so it makes zero difference. Yeah. Um, to a listening young, young girl. 
oh, to a listing young girl who's not me, mm -hmm. say no much more. Get better boundaries, say more, mean it, learn it, practice it, and get bloody brilliant at it. I did this with my daughters. I was like, you have got to learn to say no. And actually, women find it not only hard to say no, but very hard to say no to men. Yes. Because we're not brought up to do that. Mm -hmm. And I am so focused on my daughters saying, say no, say no. And I'm like, not to me, but say no. <laughs> and, you know, my daughter got a job at uh, a pub. And she said, look, I've got to go and do my... Um, she was doing her A-levels, and I was like, go get a job, and... Um, she said no. <laughs> she, no, she did. I mean, the kids are really great with stuff like that. But her boss gave her too many hours, and she didn't know what to do about it. And there was a part of me going, I'll ring him, and, and I thought, no. And I was like, babe, if you can't learn to say no to a white man, mm -hmm. because it is actually, forgive me all white men, I love you all, but if you can't say no to a white man today you will never be able to say no to him mm -hmm. in five years' time. It's a great training. It is absolutely vital and massively important. And I taught them how to say no in sexual situations. Mm -hmm. I taught them how to say no in work situations. I taught them how to say... And, and you know, you've just got to teach women to receive. Mm -hmm. They're crap at it. Mm. So young girls, say no, say it again, then keep saying it. Don't walk out with a coffee you didn't bloody want because you didn't want to say no. Don't say, I don't want to do that. Don't walk into a restaurant when they put you right next to the kitchen door. Don't sit down. Say no. Because restaurants know women will accept tables yeah. by, by, by kitchen door. Say no. Sit somewhere else or leave. You know, always be willing to stand up for the thing that makes you happy. And we are not trained to do that. Whereas, I'm, and I love this about men. Men are, are trained to understand this so much better than we do as women. Mm. So I think that that's really that's, important. That's brilliant. And brilliant to know that you're teaching your daughters to do that. So much. Because we are still hardwired or autopilot to look after other people's needs before our own. The change has been that in the old days, you would have a baby and then somebody else would help you to pay for that baby and look after that baby. Mm -hmm. Today, we are bringing up, and even for us, let alone the younger generations, you're bringing up women who, girls who will carry a baby, have the baby, and have to pay the bills for that baby. Mm -hmm. Now, who do you have to be to do that successfully? What a great finale, Peter. It's been <laughs> such a pleasure. Thank you oh, so thank much you for so taking much the for time. Having me. So inspirational and very powerful story. So thank you so much for being so candid. And I open. really appreciate the time. Thanks, Gita. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Grit in the Oyster. If you're enjoying our conversations, do subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. And stay in touch. Penny at pennydevolk.com.